a friend of mine gave me the inspiration for this episode today. He observed that many sole and small firm lawyers are spending a lot of money on things that they think are going to help them grow their practice and never do, or on the latest and greatest tech toys. And then at the end of the day, they have an empty bank account and little to show for their money, outside of maybe the most recent iPhone. In this episode, I want to break down the things you spend your money on, expenses and investments, and help you focus on those investments that are really going to help your law practice grow. I'm Brad Miller, and this podcast will help you transform your law practice through deliberate design, core business competency, mental mastery, and powerful positioning so that you can have a practice that gives you the life you want, not a life that is the mercy of your practice. If you want to stop struggling, spend more time with your family, live a life of abundance, and make a difference in the lives of your clients, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the New Modern Lawyer Podcast. For several years, the majority of my law firm clients were new and growing small businesses. I helped a lot of budding entrepreneurs set up their companies, filing their business paperwork, drafting organizational documents, and other contracts for them. I also worked with established businesses looking to grow in some way, maybe bringing on additional owners or restructuring the business to protect their assets. The one thing on the mind, though, of every owner of these small business was money. Getting more, not having enough, increasing the revenues or decreasing the expenses. Now, I'm recording this episode in advance, and earlier this week, I was talking to a client of mine that I'm working with to purchase a business. He had been poring over the business's financials, making sure that the numbers lined up with what the current owner had stated and had forecasted going forward for the next few years. The revenues were pretty much spot on, but the owner's take-home profits weren't coming out to what they said it was, and there was some uncertainty on what was paid out and to whom. So my client's waiting for the owner's accountant to provide a more clear financial picture of the business and its expenses. Now, why am I talking about my law firm clients? Well, it's because they're all small business owners. And as a solo attorney or the owner of a small law firm, you're a small business owner too. So money is probably on your mind a lot as well. You maybe are looking at how much money is coming in each day or week, how much money is going out. Now, you don't have to be a financial whiz, I mean, I'm definitely not, to understand that you want your money to be in to be greater than the money out. I mean, that seems pretty simple, right? More money in than more money out. Now, there are many ways to increase the money coming into your firm, from marketing to raising your prices. But today, I want to talk about the money going out of your firm, because many lawyers don't really understand the money they spend every month, and you may, in fact, be one of those, because Unless you have business experience or maybe you took business classes in college, nobody really talks about it or teaches this. Now, they definitely don't discuss it in law school. Generally speaking, there are two things you spend your money on for your law practice, investments and expenses. An investment is something that is expected to yield a return. So the purchase of an office, for instance, you anticipate that the property is going to increase in value and that you're going to be able to build equity in it. Marketing, you undertake marketing efforts to bring in new clients. Whenever you're doing an investment here, if you think about it, you're spending money with the goal of making more money down the road. 
Now, expenses are everything else that costs money that you spend money on. Some of these may be essential to running your practice, such as office supplies or rent, but you aren't really expecting a direct return from the purchase of paper or laser toner. Now, the return on investment isn't always just about money. It could be time, maybe saved from one task and that you can use on something else, uh, another project, another client, maybe even to be able to take a vacation with that time. Have efficiency so that you can get tasks done quicker. Maybe you can return work to the client faster than you otherwise would. Or it could also be for firm or personal growth. It could be education where you're learning new things or getting better at what you currently do. You could be doing it for licensure, such as applying to another uh, jurisdiction or so that you can practice in another court. It could be certification. Maybe you're trying to become a mediator and you want to get certified in mediation so that you can better help your mediation clients and use that as marketing. Or even specialization. There are some states, some jurisdictions that have specialization programs in particular practice areas. And if you take so many classes and you pass an exam, usually you can become a, spe a, a specialist in a particular area. And you can use that to market your practice, to uh, use it to uh, increase your prices, things like that. Now, you may have realized that whether something is an investment or is expense is not always clear cut here. In fact, there's some things that you're going to spend money on that could be an investment or an expense, depending on the purpose and whether you're expecting some sort of return on it. For instance, the latest tech gadget could be an investment if it helps your practice. But it could also be a money suck, an expense. If you buy it just because it's cool and, and full transparency here, I had definitely bought my fair share of cool gadgets. Now, you're probably wondering, why should you even really care about investments and expenses? I mean, isn't all just money going out of your account anyway? And, and that's a valid question. But I like to think of investments as good purchases and these pure expenses as quote-unquote bad purchases. Investments help my practice and contribute towards its growth, though that's good. Expenses, though, they're just money out. Now, that's not to say that you can't or shouldn't have expenses. Like I mentioned a minute ago, some expenses, like office supplies, are essential to running your firm. I mean, I know I personally have like f at least five legal pads around and on my desk, you know, because I like the, the actual feeling of writing things down on paper. But in most cases, you really want to try to minimize your expenses. And if you get into a situation where maybe you need to cut costs or are looking to just run your firm more cost effectively so that you can have some greater profits, expenses are really where you want to focus. The problem I see, though, is that oftentimes firms and this especially is the case where you've got lawyers who are just starting up a law practice. You know, these firms will spend a lot of money on things that are expenses rather than putting their money into investments. You know, or they'll spend on investments that don't really have a very good return on them, maybe a particular marketing campaign. And rather than pull the plug on it when they realize it's not really working or they're not really coming any uh, return on that investment, they just keep pumping money into it, uh, essentially wasting that money, throwing it away. Now, I started practicing in 2007, and since that time, I like to think that I've gotten pretty good at running my firm pretty cost-effectively here. 
I'm a true solo working from a home office. I have a purely transactional practice, which I work with small business owners exclusively. And for most months, my costs run less than 500 bucks a month in my practice. And so I'd like to share today some of the lessons that I have learned when it comes to spending money on your law practice. And I want to start with technology. Now, don't get me wrong, I love shiny toys. As I said, I have definitely spent money on uh, technology just for the sake of it being technology. You know, I am one of those people who like to have the latest and greatest iPhone every year. So every year I trade my new my old phone in and get a brand new one just because I like to have that, the new feeling. I like to have something that's brand new and all the different features and, and things like that to come with it. And some technology can be an investment, such as that tablet maybe that you bought to pull up case documents at court. You know, that can be very helpful. A lot of tech, though, is really just an expense that you're spending. You know, we we get it. We buy these things because it gives us that shot of dopamine, that feel-good chemical when we get something new. And in some cases, we might even think that we're what we're doing is we're in getting an investment here. You know, because it will make us more efficient or allow for better communication with clients, for instance. But at the end of the, d the day, it really ends up being a, an expense because it doesn't give us the impact or return that we expect it to do. So, but let's look here at some examples of some good tech investments for your law practice. The first one is investing in practice and document management software. Now, when people ask me what are some of the things that I need to spend money on in my law practice, one of the very first things that I tell people is a good practice management system and a way to manage your documents. The law is a very document intensive practice profession and you really need a way to keep track of everything that you've got. Uh, you know, I draft contracts and so I've got all the papers for that. I've got all the drafts for those. I've got you know revisions back and forth. I may have template documents that I use. I've obviously had the final versions, the executed copies. And so I need a really good way to keep track of all that. And so for me, a document management system of some sort, some way that I can keep track of everything, keep it all in one place, is really important to me. Now you could do this with the you know the the built-in tracking systems that your computer comes with but if you are trying to share documents within your office um, if you've got staff other attorneys working for you and you've got to work on different things need to keep track of everything you're probably going to need some sort of a program that again not only keeps these things organized but also allows you to store these things so they're not sitting on an individual's computer uh, which is just a safety issue in itself you know one uh, you know one electric in a situation where you've got maybe a surge going through, uh, your computer gets fried and, and you lose everything. So document management system, very important. A practice management system I think is important too. And I, I talked a little bit about practice management systems in a previous podcast episode. But I think it's really important to keep track of your clients. It's important to keep track of the cases you're working on at any moment in time. And again, the bigger you are, the more cases you have going on at once, the more people you're working within your firm, the more important it is that everyone's on the same page. And so practice management system is really vital, I think, and a really good investment uh, when you're not only just starting your practice, but also as you continue to run it as you grow and work with your practice. 
Kind of along those lines, important things, document creations. So that means programs that you're going to use to create documents, word processors. Uh, for most of us, that's going to end up being a product like Office 365, Microsoft, you know, Microsoft Word. Um, it could be WordPerfect, depending on how long you've been practicing and what you're familiar with. Uh, either way, there's, there's costs associated with either of those programs. Uh, and both of them, again, I think they're very good investments because... Again, the law is a very paper-intensive profession. Now, some people will try to use Google Docs, and I've tried it in the past. I, I, I admit I've not done anything with it recently, but when I tried it before, the features just were not robust enough for what I needed for law practice. Um, it was difficult to do some of the numbering and things that I needed for my documents. The... Um, you know, most other people, again, I, in my practice, because I'm dealing with um, the buying and selling of businesses, I often have drafts that I have to exchange back and forth with the opposing counsel. And, and so most of them use Word documents. And so I really have to have Word documents for that exchange to be able to track changes and things like that with them. So for me, spending the money for Office 365 subscription, or even if you just do a standalone uh, Word processor like that, is worth it versus something like a free program like Google which doesn't quite, at least the last time I used it, did not quite have the same uh, capabilities. You're probably going to want a paperless office. I mean, that's definitely one of the ways that you can keep your expenses and things like that down. And so to have a paperless office, you're going to need some PDF software, whether that's Adobe or another um, program that you use. You're also going to need some hardware. You're going to need scanners, ways that you get the physical paper that comes into your office turned into digital paper. And again, both of those are really important to help get yourself, your, your law practice paperless. The more people you have, the more of a benefit I think you see. Me as a solo, I still see a lot of benefit out of it. And I think this is, again, another good tech investment. Commu uh, excuse me, client communications is important. Um, this is where your smartphone comes in. Um, you know, a way that I can reach out to clients, I can talk to them when I'm on the go, when I'm not sitting at my desk. Um, other things like client portals where you can share documents with them can be a good investment. Um, places where you can share calendars, tasks, things like that. Any way that you can exchange documents or, or tasks or, again, just kind of keep your clients in the loop of what's going on. Um, after all, you know, a lack of communication is one of the biggest complaints that clients have when they sue attorneys for malpractice or they file grievances against them. Um, you know, there's always almost always a, an allegation in there of poor communication. So one way to avoid that is to invest a little bit of money in some of these um, software and some of the hardware that you may need to, to facilitate communication. Kind of along that route is working remotely, the ability to do so. Um, if you like to work from home, if you don't like to work from an office, perhaps, you know, you need a way to, to dial in, as it were, um, to be able to access your case files. So you're going to need a good Internet connection. Um, maybe you can, you know, if it's a home office, you're going to have to have a, a nice, fast internet connection. If you're on the go, maybe with using your phone, for instance, or a tablet, maybe you need to invest in another wireless signal, another phone number to use for those. Uh, if you're trying to use public Wi-Fi's and things like that, where you have to be very careful, a VPN is probably a necessity for you. Something where you can securely uh, get into your 
your firm access your documents and things uh, when you're working on a less secure uh, network, such as again at a coffee shop, even at the courthouse, where it's like where it's most likely an unsecured uh, Wi-Fi connection. These kind of tools, again, I think these are can be good investments. Receiving payments, things that you need to help get paid, are very important. So the big one here is some sort of an online payment processor, whether that's someone through your bank or a specific product maybe that you use that uh, is special for lawyers or not. Having a way to really get credit cards and get payments for clients. I mean, nowadays, more and more clients are, are paying this way. And you know, you can say I'm only going to accept checks and cash and things like that because you want to avoid the, the processing fees, the percentages that come with it. But at the end of the day, how long do you have to wait for that check to come through? What happens if the check bounces? I've had that situation with clients, in fact, where they wrote me a check and it it bounced. And so not only now do I have a delay in actually getting the money because then I have to go back to them and say, hey, the check didn't clear. I need you to write me a new one or whatnot. But then I have to worry about uh, bounce check fees and all kinds of other stuff and, and just a lot of a headache. And so the really easy way to do this is just be allowed to take um, online payments. And you can do this both for your operating agreement, so for earned fees, but also if you have unearned fees through uh, an IOLTA account, IOLTA I should say, uh, you can also have these funds go in directly into there through credit, credit part payment processing. And there's ethics rules and you have to be careful with things like that. But point here being is that doing or having some sort of a system, a sort of a way to receive payments online, I think is a really good investment because it's going to get you paid faster, more efficiently, um, and you're not going to have to worry about the money coming through. And, and, a lot of, and the kind of the correlator of all this stuff is, you know, you've got the hardware, you've got the software, but... I think it's a really good investment to to pay for some training on the tech that you use and that you have. There are so many features in, for instance, Microsoft Word that I use on a day-to-day -day basis. There are so many features that I have never used that I don't know you really know how to use. I mean, I know the basic stuff. I know a little bit about how to do some numbering and some formatting and things. But by and large, there's a lot out there that I don't know how to use. Or maybe your practice management system. There could be a lot of bells and whistles built in that you've never used, that you've never configured to use for your, your practice, for your firm. Maybe some staff members, other attorneys, they don't really use it. Buy, invest in training on this technology. It's going to make you, this is where you're going to get that time we talked about. This is where you're going to gain some efficiency because you've got the tools. Get the most out of them. And the only way you can do that is to get the training. So training on the technology, all these things, I think, really important. Now, some less helpful tech purchases, which are more likely to be expenses, is, you know, for those of us who feel, again, that we need the newest phone or tablet or little new toy every, every year, probably not a great investment for your law practice. Do you really need to have a new phone every year? Probably not. The phone from one year to the next is not going to change significantly enough um, that it's going to probably make a huge difference in your practice. It's going to allow you to make calls. It's going to allow you to get online, um, you know, to, to be able to, to use apps or programs or things like that to connect to your, your practice management system, maybe your document systems, things like that. You, you, you don't really need a new one. Again, I said, I, again, I am guilty 100% of this. I like to have the newest phone. 
but I also realize that that's totally an expense, that that is not an investment. So don't try to think that, hey, I need this new phone, I need the latest and greatest thing every year um, because it's an investment for my practice. It's not. Fax machines. I don't know the last time, actually I do know, the last time that I saw an actual physical fax machine was when I was law clerking in law school for a, a firm. They had a physical fax machine. So that was 15 plus years ago. Since then, I have not seen a physical, actual fax machine in person. If you were thinking about buying one, don't do it. Fax numbers are rarely used. Uh, there are some reasons why you might need to have one. I know that there are some courts, some, especially in some of the rural counties, that don't have online filing, but they will accept fax filings. I know there are some particularly if you do practice or um, personal injury work, you may need to be able, you may need to use facts to obtain medical records uh, from a provider. They may not do it by email or whatever. You need to have facts. Um, same thing if you, maybe if you're talk, contacting the IRS, uh, they, they tend to not um, allow you to call for a lot of things anymore, trying to get more streamlined. You can fax some of these things into them instead. So, um, but the way to do that is through an e-fax program. It's an online fax program that allows you to use your scanners that you already have for your paperless office, or you just keep things in their digital formats. You know, you created something in, in a Word document, or even maybe you convert it to a PDF, and you can just upload those, and they go out through this program, and, and they go out as faxes to the recipient's fax number. And then when you get a fax in, instead of it going to a machine and printing out a paper and wasting paper and all, it goes and it turns up in your email inbox as an email attachment. So that's the way. If you need to have fax number, and some of us do still in this world today, use the e-fax, pay the you know, 5, 10, whatever, 15 bucks a month that might be for that. Don't go ahead and buy a fax machine. Um, they're obsolete at this point. Nobody uses them. Some attorneys, some people like to jump from one software to another. And this is a big waste of money. You may have a practice management system that you started off with and get in it for maybe six months, maybe a year, and decide, you know what, this program doesn't really do what I need it to do. It doesn't really fit us very well. And so you go to a different one, and you try that one for a little bit of time, and then you decide, you know what, I don't like this one as well either. Let's try something else. And, and you bounce back and forth between one software and another. Each time you're spending not only the money for these new products, but the time to learn how to use them, to get people transitioned over from one system to the other. You have to worry about the possibility of losing data when you go from one to the other. And again, it's just not something that is a really good use of your time, your money. Um, you know, use the trials, take the time to really research and figure out what program is going to work for you before you commit to it. And, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but maybe you need to reach out to a consultant. Maybe you need to have someone to help guide you in your purchasing process and come to a decision. So maybe that is a good investment of money for you so that you aren't bouncing back and forth between products and softwares or finding yourself stuck with one that doesn't actually work for what you need and then having to change to something else. And just a kind of a note here with this, it's it's not really as much as of a of an expense or situation, but you know, make sure that before you start, you know, buying this these tech solutions, the hardware and the softwares, you know, yes they may be uh, 
investments versus expenses that may be something that's going to help your law practice, but make sure you've got enough revenue to sustain them. If you have a practice management software that you purchase that's going to spend you, you know, you're going to pay, let's say you pay 100 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, make sure that you have enough revenue coming in that it's regular enough that you can do that. You can afford that. You know, you don't want to run yourself bankrupt or run into problems not being able to pay for these things uh, because you just don't have the money to do it. So just a, a word of caution there um, when you are looking at technology and kind of purchasing some of these things that, that while they may be investments, at the end of the day, you just don't really have the cash there yet to do it. So maybe you wait for a little bit, build up some revenue, get your client base built up before you make some of these investments. Marketing. Marketing is typically an investment for your firm because it's bringing in new clients. It's the way that you get new work. It's the way that you bring money into your practice. Um, money is an investment. So some things that are investments, uh, networking and referrals. The best clients that I get are those that have been referrals from other people. They are less problematic. They are a lot more willing to pay. I don't have to quote unquote sell to them because essentially they're already sold on me um, by whoever referred them to me. And, and so I'm not really competing against other firms. Uh, I don't need to worry about, you know, coming across as, as better than this one or whatever like that. You know, these are just overall, they're, they're better clients, you know, particularly what, you know, as long as they're, they're your ideal type of a client, they typically are better clients. And so anything that you do that, that helps or goes towards getting referrals, I think is a really good investment. Maybe that's attending events where you know that your ideal client may be, or even potential referral sources might be, you know, it may not be that your clients are going to be showing up at this event, but if other referral sources, maybe lawyers, bar association meetings, by the way, are really great avenues for this. You know, it's probably worth getting involved in those things, going to those events. Spending money on one-to-one -one meetings, I think, is always a great uh, use of money, as long as you go in with the purpose of forming or establishing and working on relationships. If you're just there because you're looking for a way to get a free round of golf out, you know, you you want to get a chance to play golf, and so you just you know, um, brought you know randomly talk to some you know uh, ask someone out to to go golf with you. You don't really talk very much. You kind of have your own carts and do your own thing. That's not really a good you know, sort of a, in a, of a networking event. But if it's you, if, if you're there and you are, you know, sitting in the same cart, you're really chatting with this person. Golf, for instance, might be a really good investment, especially if you both like to golf. Um, coffee meetings, now that we're hopefully on the, um, on the leading edge here of the, of the pandemic, you can start doing meetings again. So buying coffee, going for lunches, those can be really good expenses. Um, costs that are investments because they're going towards relationship building. They're going towards business development. And and something that I think is often overlooked when it comes to referrals is referral gifts. Uh, now, there are a lot of states, a lot of jurisdictions that have prohibitions on, um, on paying for referrals. But what I mean here is just a little gift. You know, if someone refers a really good client to you, you know, maybe you send them a little a fruit basket or something. Or you send them a Christmas gift. Um, you know, you know they like wine, so maybe you buy, buy them a bottle of wine. Just some little small gift or like that to let them know that you appreciate the trust that they have in you by referring somebody. 
that can go a really long way to, again, again, networking, referrals, this is all about relationships. So it can be a really great way to build that relationship and strengthen it with a potential referral source. Uh, your basic website, I think, is a good investment. Now, how much you spend on that is really up to you and where you are um, financially with your practice. If you can afford to do it, I would definitely recommend finding a professional company to do it for you. It's definitely worth the time and, and the money. But if you have, you know, as, as I did when I first made my law uh, firm websites at the beginning of my practice, I had a lot more time on my hands than I had money. So I did it myself. And maybe that's uh, a good use of your time. And maybe the investment here is instead of paying someone to build the site for you, it's in your hosting, it's in your getting your domain name secure, things like that. Um, but having a, a basic website, I think, is really important because people are going to look for you online. Even if it's a referral, generally one of the first things that they're going to do is they're going to say, oh, so, you know, Joe Smith is the attorney that was referred to me. Let me type him into Google real quick and see what I can find about this person. So they're going to go online and see if they can find you on there. And if they can't find you, if they can't find your firm when they type the name into Google or their search engine, it's generally Google, but when they try to do a search for you, if they can't find you, the first thing that's going to come through your mind is, well, maybe they don't actually exist. Maybe they're no longer practicing. Is this a real person? Like, And so you're going to be missing out on these potential clients. So... Um, a basic website, I think, is a necessity to have. If nothing else, it just shows that you're legitimate um, and gives people something they can look at to get some confirmation of who you are. Uh, some other really good uh, marketing things, um, an e-newsletter, you know, sending out a, a newsletter weekly, monthly, whatever you feel comfortable doing to clients, to potential clients, former clients, just to kind of stay in top of mind, I think is really important. And it's usually really cost effective too. Uh, it doesn't cost a lot of money at all to do this. Blogging, um, social media, things like this, where you're putting things out, um, written word out there, it can be very beneficial. You know, there's generally not a lot of cost with this. Mostly it's just your time. So again, I think these are really good investments if you have the time to do them. Um, you got to be a little bit careful if you're thinking about paying for somebody to do this work for you. You want to have make sure that the person that's doing this um, is giving the right information out there. You don't want them to giving false information or, or misleading clients in any way. Um, you have to make sure that they are following the ethics rules when it comes to advertising in your jurisdiction as well. But otherwise, I think blogging, social media can really be a good way, a very low-cost way uh, to help market your practice. And similarly, one of the new things, one of the great things out there right now, great way to reach out to potential clients is podcast. There is a little bit of a, of a cost at the beginning. Obviously, you guys are listening to this podcast now, so you kind of get, get this. But you're going to look at you know, probably some sort of a microphone and uh, maybe a, blog or a podcasting hosting package at some place. So there is a little bit of an outlay, but again, I think that the podcasting is a really good investment because it allows you to put yourself out there. It allows people to listen to you, to get information from you on their own time, and then um, to know to otherwise know financial cost to them. And so when they are ready to hire somebody, they have started to know you. They've you know they've listened to you. They start to to like what you've said. Maybe start to trust you because of the information you provided on your podcast. And so, podcasts to me are a really great way to 
market your your law firm and as you see again by listening to this podcast here a great way to to you know market any business including my coaching business now that all being said marketing can be an expense um, rather than investment if you are very unfocused with your marketing if you're doing kind of the shotgun approach where you're just throwing a lot of stuff out there and hoping it hits something that's kind of a waste of your money that's not really a great investment because you're not going to uh, the, the likelihood of you hitting your target market and getting them a right message to them at the right time is very low and so you're probably putting a lot of money out there to make this happen for for very little return what you really want to do ideally is take more of a rifle approach you want to be very focused uh, you want to know exactly who your ideal client is and make sure that you're your message that you're sending out is going directly to them at the time or or that they, excuse me, are looking to, to hire somebody. Um, the kind of the corollaries to that are making sure that you're marketing where your target client is. If you, uh, your ideal clients are grandparents, then Facebook, for instance, might be a really good place to, to market. TikTok, may not be a great place uh, if you're trying to reach grandparents. Uh, if you're trying to reach professionals, white collar type of professionals, LinkedIn, podcasts, those may be some really good avenues for marketing. Maybe some uh, written or online publications that your target market looks at and reads. They're probably less likely to be on Facebook or on Twitter and, and things like that. So you have to know where your target market is and make sure that you're marketing to where they are. Because if you're not, again, that's just a waste of money. And the other, the other corollary is making sure that you're marketing to the right clients. If you want clients that are white collar professionals that are making a hundred to $300,000 a year that live in particular suburbs, you need to market specifically to where those people are likely to be and to the kind of messages that they're looking for. You will be using a completely different marketing message and methodology if you're talking to college students or if you're talking to injuries of personal or victims, excuse me, of, of personal injury or if you're doing criminal clients they are going to be much different type of clients. They're going to be receptive to a much different message when you're marketing, and they're going to be different places. Uh, they're not going to be the same place. And so you need to keep all that in mind when you are marketing to your clients. Um, because if not, again, you're just throwing money away if you're not really targeting it to the right place, the right type of person. Now, this, this may be a little bit controversial with some people, but I think that a lot of the volume-based marketing is also kind of a waste of time. Now, by that I mean things like mailers, phone book ads, billboards, TV ads, um, places where it's, you know, you're really just kind of getting your name out there and throwing, throwing out there, and maybe there's a, it's probably a very large spend to to get these things. Um, and, and again, it goes back to, I think, these other points I just mentioned, that when you're advertising on a billboard, for instance, everybody who walks past it or drives past it is seeing that and a lot of people aren't your ideal clients and the marketing message that you say that you put up there um, 
may not be the right one for your targets um, at, you know, at that particular part as they're driving or, or whatnot. And, and I think it could get really expensive doing that. Um, usually the return, I think, that, you know, that you're getting versus what you're paying probably isn't very great, um, which is why I would suggest something a lot more local, a lot more targeted, um, as opposed to these volume-based things that cost a lot. Um, another possibly controversial thing here, um, you know, I'm very hesitant to, you know, to, to spend money on things like SEO agencies or other companies that are promising lead generation. Besides the fact that most of these companies are probably not targeting the right kind of SEO terms for you and they don't really realize it for you. You know, they're trying to get you in the first page of Google for criminal defense lawyer in your area, which might be great for your vanity. It may be great for your ego, but it's going to cost you a lot to get there probably. You know, you're lo maybe looking at spending on ads and, you know, a lot of SEO behind the scenes work and they're probably going to have monthly upkeep that they're going to charge you and things like that, maintenance fees and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of competition. And again, I think you're spending a lot of money for a small return versus something a little bit more targeted. Um, and the lead generation agencies, there, there are companies out there that promise that they will, you know, maybe they'll give you a list of your ideal type of clients in a certain industry or um, they will put your name on their website, you put, give you a profile, and then people click on there and they find your profile when they search for you know, a divorce attorney in your area. Again, for me, I think that's a lot of money you're putting out there for not a lot of gain. There's, there's no certainty in anything like that that you're going to get any sort of return. Uh, most of these companies, and, and rightfully so, are going to say you need to spend at least six months with work with them. But you know, think of how much money you've spent at the end of those six months. And if you're not really showing any sort of gain, any sort of return on that investment, that's a lot of money you might be putting out for something. So I begin to be very careful, very cautious when it comes to uh, you know, firms and companies that do SEO, do lead generation and things. And Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are companies out there that offer these things. They're probably great, and you can get clients out of them but um, you know especially for small firms for solo attorneys um, and and doubly so if you are a newer attorney or you don't have a lot of uh, revenue coming in I'd be very cautious about um, investing in these type of things and I'd see them probably more of, of an expense I think than investment and and the last one is really any company that is going to own your content your accounts your your sites there are companies out there that will create content for you so they'll basically write blog content for you but they keep the content the content is theirs so if you decide to stop using them all the content goes away you know essentially you're renting the content from them and again it, it's it's great for a time being while you're using it but you're kind of stuck and if you don't want to keep there anymore you lose all that content and you have to start from scratch so i would stay away from that um, I would stay away from anyone that, that says that they're going to create social media accounts, for instance, for you, or they're going to create these websites for you. But in the fine print, they're the ones who actually own them. And so once you decide that you want to leave, you lose access to all of that. You, they, they take the site back. They take the account away. Uh, maybe they take the phone number away from you. There's, there's companies that will give you a, a free number, maybe a toll-free number that you can use and use to track 
um, leads coming in, but if you stop working with them, then you lose a number. And so now you have to change all your marketing to get rid of all that number and all that kind of stuff. So anything like that where you don't actually own the things that are out there, the content, the accounts, the numbers, you know, the websites, whatever it might be, to me, those are not really great investments uh, because you don't really have anything. It's a rental really more than anything and you know we talked a little bit about it earlier you know buying a, a property maybe versus renting it um, you know renting is not that great of a, of a way so unless you so again looking to buy looking to own these things like that and, and now finally I want to talk a little bit about professional services now 99 time percent of the time the money that you're going to pay to other professionals is an investment and by other professionals I'm talking about um, accountants, um, you know, coaches, consultants, other other professionals like that, where you're paying them to provide a service for you. And again, most of the time, it's really great investment to to pay the people to do that because they are great at what they do. Um, you know, if they're an accountant, or let's say they're they're you know a CPA, you know, a tax preparer, they're great at preparing taxes. You are probably not you are a lawyer. You may be great at being a lawyer, um, but you're probably not a great tax preparer, a person doing taxes. And so by hiring a professional like this, but in this case, a tax preparer, not only can you save money because you're probably going to have them do it right. They're going to know some of the tax um, codes provisions that will allow you to save more money than you would know otherwise. Um, but you're also saving time because you're not doing the work um, on your taxes, that time now can be used for other things like working on client matters, maybe on business development, taking a vacation, a break, spending time with your family maybe. Um, those are things that you're getting back. I mean, really, this is the same kind of reasoning that you give to your potential clients on why they should hire you versus doing the work themselves. You know, why, if somebody comes to you and they say, you know, well, why should I use you to help with my will when I can go online to a legal Zoom or another um, online provider and I can have it done at a fraction of what you're charging? Why should I do that? And I'm sure your responses are, well, because I do it right. You know, I know what I'm doing. It's state specific to... Uh, to where you live versus these other ones, which maybe not be, you know, I've reviewed it. Um, my, my practice, my, you know, my, my practice is on the line. So if I don't do the work right and there's a mistake, you can go after me for, you know, the cert, my services and for damages versus those other services, you're, you're really limited to just the amount you've, you feed, you've paid for them. You know, even though they might be in really hot water, um, you know, I can help you with appeals or, you know, the next steps and, and all these other things, you know, same reason why when we're talking about the professionals, I think it's, it's a good investment to hire them for different aspects of your law practice. Again, the one, the big one that comes to mind is financial things. So accountants, tax preparers, bookkeepers, uh, payroll people, there are a lot better uses of your time than trying to do these things. Now you do as the owner of your law practice, have to maintain oversight of your firm finances. So don't think that you can hire a bookkeeper or an accountant and that you can just forget about all the money stuff. You don't have to worry about anything else when it comes to uh, the finances of your law practice. Um, because you need to know, right, am I making money? You know, Am I losing money? Um, are there areas where I need to cut some of these expenses? 
You know, is there a way I can improve my profitability? What do my forecast look like for the next six months, year, two years? You know, especially if I'm thinking about maybe growing my practice or making some of these other investments, maybe some larger purchases. Maybe you're looking to purchase some new computer, some new computer systems or things, and you need to, you know, you know, can I afford it? Um, and also, it's really, really important, vital that you are overseeing your IOLTA because your law license is on the line here. Uh, I think I saw a statistic that um, the when it comes to to attorneys getting in disciplinary trouble, getting um, you know suspended, disbarred, things like that, IOLTA violations are one of the biggest, the most common. Uh, issues that that pop up and oftentimes it it's what an iota violation is what leads to um, a disciplinary council finding other issues down the road and so it's really it's vitally important that you maintain your iota that you keep track of money in money out where where things are going who it belongs to again your law license on the line it's not a cpa an account that you know they mess it up big deal you know, but you you need that law license. But for the majority of your financial stuff, for the day to day, you know, budget or um, bookkeeping, for doing payroll, if you have um, employees, you know, for preparing your taxes, like we talked about, hire somebody, hire hire an accountant, a bookkeeper, payroll person, you know, hire someone who does this stuff for a living. It's definitely worth it to you. And the other group of professionals um, is consultants and coaches. Consultants can help you make decisions and help you implement things. Technology is a huge one. We talked about the software a little bit ago. You know, if you are bringing a new practice management system into your practice and you've got some staff members or some other attorneys and other people need to learn or to be able to use this thing effectively, it's a great investment of your time and your money to hire a consultant to not only set up this software to kind of customize it for your practice, for your workflows and things so it works best for you, but also to help train everyone in your office who's going to be using it so that they can use it effectively and efficiently. And again, you can get the biggest return on that investment. Um, and for that thing, I think that, you know, consultants are, are a must, you know, again, especially the more money you're spending on a system, the more likely it, I think it is that you really should get a consultant to help, um, set up and training and things like that to use it and then coaches um you know again this is a little self-serving maybe here but you know i think really coaches are are great for your practices um they provide oversight accountability to your practice they help you with educate with excuse me with execution of things in your practice um you know tiger woods serena williams both of them have coaches and you know they don't swing the club for tiger or hit the tennis ball for serena but the coaches point out flaws in their mechanics maybe they notice tendencies or help them the athletes work on their mental game and that's the same thing that hiring a, a, a coach for your law practice can do as well um, it can help you point out find out flaws find out mistakes find you know where you're hitting that wall what's what's causing that you know, maybe there's something you keep on doing over and over and you, but you're just not really realizing it. Um, you know, we can get kind of lost in the forest um, of our own problems. And sometimes an outside third party is great to kind of help, you know, point things out to us that we don't otherwise see. 
you know, and then make sure that we follow through with it. The accountability factor is huge. You know, are you actually doing the things, you know, once you know what you need to do, are you actually doing them? And this is where a coach, um, a mastermind group, you know, things like that can be great to help you get past that to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do to help grow your practice. Because my guess is that if you're listening to this podcast today, you want to grow your law practice. And so hiring someone to help you, someone where, you know, the money you spend is going to come back to you 10, 100 fold is a great investment for you and for the growth of your firm. All right, so hopefully by now you've you've realized that, you know, not every purchase that you're going to make in your law practice is a good use of your money. Some things are investments and they're going to improve, enhance your law practice. You know, you're going to get a, a positive return on them. And other things are expenses. They are really money out. And, and yes, you may get something back. You know, you're buying something, for instance. Um, but at the end of the day, you're not getting a, a return, a direct ROI on, on these expenses and things. And so really the takeaway that I want you to get today is kind of going back to the, the title of today's episode. And that's that the fastest way to bankrupt your law firm is by spending your money on the wrong things. And the wrong things here are expenses, things that are merely draining your bank account and not really coming back to you and helping you grow. You know, some of these may be necessary, like office supplies and things, um, but they're not what you need to do to take your your, your law firm to the next level. When you invest in your law firm, however, the money that you spend now pays you back in time, efficiency, and future revenues that far outweigh the initial cost uh, that you put into them. All right, well, I thank you guys for listening. If you found this episode valuable, I'm sure that there are other people out there, other attorneys out there that would also find this valuable. And so I'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment to go and leave a positive review going to Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice and, uh, you know, leaving a review, sharing this with others, um, sharing with your network, social media and things like that. Um, you know, again, you know, you obviously are here listening and found some value in this. And I'm sure that, that other people would too and would appreciate you sharing this with them. So uh, with that, uh, I will talk to you all next episode.